Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we're very excited to welcome Kaylin Nelson to the studio as our guest. Kaylin, welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. We're so excited that you're here. We want to briefly introduce Kaylin and talk about why we've invited her on the show today. Kaylin Walton Nelson has taught seminary full-time in high schools throughout Utah since 2013 and recently completed her master's degree in teacher leadership and policy from the University of Utah. So definitely an expert teacher, if there ever was one. (laughs) No. No. (laughs) Kaylin grew up in small towns throughout eastern Utah, where her father also worked for seminaries and institutes. Kaylin attended a semester abroad in Jerusalem and has a passion for ancient scripture and the Holy Land, which is something we love about her. And she and her husband, Graydon, live in American Fork, Utah. And I think we also need to mention to our listeners that in addition to teaching high school students throughout the week, Kaylin has also been called to serve as a youth Sunday school teacher in her ward, where she teaches more than a dozen 17-year-olds. We found out today it's 19. Yes. 19 on the roll. (laughs) Yeah. So. And I know them all. I know them all. They're not <laughs> ghosters. They're, they're there. That's, That's incredible. Bless your heart, Kaylin. And I feel like I need to disclose that Kaylin and I have been friends since about the time that she started teaching seminary, so close to a decade. And I've been blessed to know Kaylin. We've had lots of great gospel conversations and good memories, and I'm just excited that she's here with us today to share that with the listeners. And we're also excited about today's episode because Kaylin, as a professional teacher, is going to talk with us about how, as women, we can improve and find greater joy in teaching the gospel. Women in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints are teachers. We teach formally and informally in the church, both large and small settings. We have our own children or other people's children, Mm -hmm. teenagers, women, mixed groups of adults. So this is going to be really helpful to us. Mm -hmm. I hope so. And just speaking of these opportunities, women have the opportunity to influence and strengthen others through teaching, and it's empowering and faith-promoting and very exciting, but it can also be extremely daunting and frightening to some people. Absolutely. I know a lot of people who are very uncomfortable with it. We, so You we live just, some people's worst nightmares, Caitlin. <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> some people's, and then some people have other worst nightmares. <laughs> I would rather die than decorate the table at Relief Society yes. or plan the Relief Society activity or any of yes. those things. We all have weaknesses. We all have weaknesses and strengths. <laughs> well, we're so glad we have you today. We just want to talk about a few principles and tools women can rely on to teach more like the Savior and to be more effective, more comfortable in teaching and facilitating discussions. Yeah. Kaylin, we know your expertise is teaching youth and young adults, but our goal is that the principles we discuss can help anyone in teaching in any situation to any audience. And recognizing how many different audiences women teach in the church's It's pretty incredible, right? right? It's a vast audience. So before we jump into these tips for teaching in the church, we'd love to talk with you, Kaylin, about your experience as a woman working in seminaries and institutes. And in the nine years that you've worked as a full-time seminary teacher, there have actually been many changes that positively impact women who work as employees for seminaries and institutes. Tell us about some of these changes, how they benefit the women working for seminaries and institutes, but also the youth and the young adults that you teach. Well... I just want to start by saying that there is so much misinformation about women working in the church, for the church, and especially in seminary and institutes. So I'm so glad we have a 
like this platform to say, uh-huh. here are the misconceptions. To bust the myths. Let's bust the myths mm-hmm. and say, can women work for the church? And can women teach seminary? I didn't think they could. So we will caveat for those who are participating outside of the Mountain West mm-hmm. where, you know, seminary is a calling for me in Utah and in parts of the Mountain West, it is a full-time job. One of the questions that I get asked the most in relation to my occupation is, I thought women couldn't teach once they were married. And I don't actually know if that's ever been true. But the truth is that women can teach if they're married or not married. And one of the things that was true but isn't anymore is that prior to 2014, if you had children in the home, you could not teach seminary. The church emphasized that women should be in the home and to the point that it was a policy. Mm -hmm. And so if you were a married sister and you were pregnant, then you were asked to be home. And so that was a barrier, I would say, for a lot of women. And even I was hired in 2013. And I remember when this was being brought up as like an employment option, I was like, how long could I even do it? And if I can't do it or if my husband honestly died or had a disability and I needed to go back to work, I could not have gone back. That was not be an option. And so why put my time and energy into something I couldn't do to provide for my family long term if I needed it? And I would say that was a big barrier. And thankfully, in 2014, they changed that policy and said, essentially, we trust women. And that created, I wouldn't say a massive influx, but I do personally know women who because of their personal circumstances, came back to SNI. And mm-hmm. so that was one of the big changes that we were like, woohoo, for women and for students. Another one that I would say I've probably been more impacted by is just that women can wear pants and teach. And I'm just like, woohoo. <laughs> that was in 2017. It does. Yes. I can't tell you how many times you just got to stand on a desk to hit the power button right. on a yes. projector or you're just up and moving. It's not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. <laughs> you're in the ring. <laughs> mm-hmm. So even the dress code's gotten a little more inclusive and open to for women. And I love that. I love that. So these changes, especially you've said this influx of women who are now teaching, how does that affect the classroom? How does that affect the students who are actually showing up every day to listen to a teacher? I hope in amazing ways. And I think from my perspective, some of the biggest ways that it's helped is just anytime there's a diversity in experience and a diversity in, I mean, it could be racial or gender or socioeconomics, all of those differences really bless the youth to see differences from another perspective. So I think not planned, not intentional, but I think that there are stereotypes in the church about teaching. Men know the doctrine, and they teach publicly, and they like it. And women don't like it, and they teach you privately, and they're better at home, and they maybe don't know the doctrine as well. I don't think that that is enforced in any way by the doctrine of the church, but just culturally, I feel like that is kind of the idea. And so I also love having these strong, powerful women in a seminary classroom to say, I know the doctrine, and I like teaching. And we just and I'm good at it. And I'm good at it. And I like breaking down those stereotypes because I think that it helps the young men. I think it helps them to see powerful women teachers. I also think it helps the young women to see powerful female teachers. So I think it's really valuable for youth to see that variety and diversity. So I'm all for doing whatever we need to in order to open those opportunities up to have a more diverse teacher population. 
So maybe you could share, Kaylin, if someone listening is like, I would love to do that. I would love to explore that. How can women explore these opportunities? So more and more, there are part-time options that are becoming available for women and men. We have retired men coming back part-time, and we also have women, children in the home or not, who are coming in to part-time teach. So if anybody is interested, the church has a job site, and I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's careersearch.churchofjesuschrist.org. If you go to Career Search, it will give you all the employment options for the church, whether it's in the church office building or whatever. But if you want to narrow it, there's a button on the left where you can limit it to seminaries and institutes, and it will bring up the options for your area. Well, just continuing this discussion, Kaylin, we'd love to know how your work as a seminary teacher has just blessed your life in general. I will say it has blessed my life in a lot of ways, but it is also so hard. Mm-hmm. Teaching is so hard, even if you love it. And so the highest of highs and the lowest of lows, really, truly, it has been. I would say this is more as a career woman, though I wish it wasn't so. I've never aspired to a career woman, but at nine years, this is my career. But this is a truth that I have learned, and I just want to talk about a little bit. I think it's important to recognize that our heavenly parents work in glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of their children. And our job is to help them do that in whatever way they ask us to. And tie that with gathering Israel, President Nelson, the greatest cause, the greatest challenge, the greatest work. So often I feel that as women, we believe that our gender tells us what our job is to do in that work. And that is totally fine that women feel drawn to motherhood and that that is the way that they help gather Israel. But in my personal experience, I've had to learn that I do that in a lot of ways. Women do that in a lot of ways. Men do that in a lot of ways. And our gathering ability and our role is not just attached to our gender. And seminary, having a career, having a job has really taught me that. And if it's okay, I'd just love to share a little bit of my personal experience getting there. Like many you've had, I'm a listener of this podcast. And like many of the SNI women and many of your other women you've had on here, especially women who have led careers, it really is the struggle that we have to embrace a career when not only what we're taught, but what we want is motherhood. It's both. I'm not just taught to be a mom, so I think I want to be a mom. No, I genuinely want to be a wife and a mother. And so... It's so difficult to balance that, especially when those aren't things you can choose. Mm -hmm. Those are not within our power a vast majority of the time. I'm married, but I've struggled with infertility for six years of trying and, and wrestling and saying, oh, but I'm not a career woman. I need to remember that that doesn't mean that I'm not doing the greatest work for me. And right now, whether I like it or not, (laughs) teenagers are my work and my glory. And I just, like, parents at least you get to get out of it. They grow out of it. Like, every year I restart high school, fathom it. And it just, it's prom and it's soccer games and it's caring about things you sometimes don't care about. I can't tell you how uninterested I am in Pokemon, but I just try so hard to just be in a teenage life every day because right now that is gathering Israel for me and I need to feel totally empowered to do that and, and not to embrace it. I embrace love that word. It mm-hmm. And not put it off or neglect it because I'm waiting. I'm waiting for motherhood. 
yeah, I am. But I can't tell you how many years I put off my master's degree saying I don't need it because then I'll have to be in longer and then I'll just drag this out and I would just rather die. And then I finally just did it. And it's benefited my career and and my personal growth in so many ways. I'm so glad I did it. I met amazing women and men who are teachers, public school teachers around the valley. I learned so much. And I just think sometimes are we holding back because we're waiting for marriage or waiting for motherhood? Because that's the only important thing. And though it's so important, it is not everybody's work and glory right now to do that. And so therefore, embrace it. Live it and love it where you're at and make the best of it because sometimes the meantime is a lot longer than we intend. And I could have saved myself a heck of a lot of heartache and procrastination if I had just embraced it. And I feel like I'm in a spot right now where I'm like, I don't want to keep doing this. But no matter how many times I tell Jesus that, I'm still doing it. And I know I'm blessing lives and I know I'm doing a good work. And so... I need to keep doing it. Carry on. Carry on. (laughs) And so I think, is that seminary? I don't know. But I think that's how working has and been being part of something really important has really blessed my life. Wow. Thank you for sharing so many very personal things. I think those insights are going to be incredibly helpful. Kaylin, you've shared with us that seminary and institutes recently conducted a large-scale research project to better understand youth and young adults' experiences learning and being taught in the gospel. And we would love to hear from you. What are some of the things discovered through this research, and how can these principles guide teachers of any age group? Yeah. A few years ago, the seminary program institution approached the church and said, we want to do a large-scale study. We want to know why people are or aren't going to seminary or institute. We want to know why. We want to know if they are, what would make it better. If they aren't, why they aren't. And it was global. And I really appreciate that because sometimes we think we know what people need. We know what teenagers want and need. (laughs) But in truth, what if we asked them? And then Kim Clark was the commissioner of education at the time. And he said, you can do this project and it will be amazing, but make sure you do it whatever you learn. And the leadership of seminaries and institutes has kind of taken that and been like, okay, we are. So there are four major findings, but there are three that I think we could talk about, but then also use to apply to make our everyday teaching better. So um, number one is belonging. Teenagers and young adults want to feel like they belong in institute and belong in seminary. They interviewed people who said, I just don't feel like I belong because I am part of this community Mm -hmm. or I'm part of that community and I'm welcome in institute. So holy smokes, I go because I have my people. We embrace the doctrine, love God, and then we embrace the second great commandment to love our neighbor. And do we do both of those things? So we have had a major push to say, are we making our classrooms a place of belonging for many types of people? The next is conversion. They really wanted converting things taught. I'm not going to learn how many feet or how many miles was between Jerusalem and the Dead Sea because that doesn't matter to me. I need you to tell me what I can do to deepen my personal connection with Jesus Christ and my heavenly parents. Mm. That's what I'm here for. But they do care about the important stuff. They do. And actually, J. Reuben Clark gave a landmark seminary talk back in the early 1900s. But he said, the youth crave it. They don't want it watered down. They want it bold in your face. They don't want it whispered in their ears. They want the truth undiluted. And the research is also showing that they want it, but they want it in a way that connects to the last point, which is relevant. They want it in a way that connects with them. 
you can tell me how many feet are from Jerusalem to the Dead Sea, but you better be able to tell me in a way that's going to connect with me personally. So relevance in scripture teaching is one thing, but then there's also relevance with what's happening in the world today. Tithing in TikTok, I don't know, but it was about two months ago and there was a tithing thing on TikTok. And I'm telling you, we had some conversations. Who knew that tithing was so controversial? But it was because of somebody on social media and we had really relevant conversations based on their day-to-day that had nothing to do with my lesson plan. And that is relevance. Relevance is connecting the scripture block to me, yes, but it's also saying I can find anything I want to on the internet about the church. And I want to have those conversations in a faith-filled environment, whether that's in seminary. And I'm telling you, they want to have them, and I'm having them. And they also want to have it in institute and be able to come and say, these are my questions. So the last one is accessibility, and that's more institute age to say, how can we make this accessible in other parts of the country and other parts of the world? And so COVID, bless its heart, has really, <laughs> really helped us with sort of jump Yeah, the, whether we wanted to or not. Yeah. Like it was a beautiful silver lining to just push seminaries and institutes toward a more technological avenue to get people tuning in. My dad's an institute teacher in San Diego, California, and his classes are on Zoom and in person, and he gets people all over the Pacific coast. And they come in from Hawaii, and they come in from Portland, and they come in from Northern California. And so accessibility is becoming a big focus, especially in the Institute Avenue. So just fascinating findings. And we want to take these three principles that you've talked about now and dive into them each individually, talk about them, and we want to give you a chance, Kaylin, to teach us some basic teaching skills or principles that fall under each of these categories that teachers in any teaching position in the church, whether it's seminary and institutes or Sunday school or Relief Society, can use to be more effective and to connect with their students who of any age are wanting these things. One of the first ingredients to a good teaching environment is making people feel like they belong. And that looks different from Relief Society to Young Women's to Sunday School to Gospel Doctrine because how people want to belong is different based on your age. So I want to give a couple ideas. Sunday School belonging is teenager belonging or primary. We we need to include primary as well. Yeah, children. Children as well. This is taking ideas. Ten minutes at the beginning— Don't just jump right in. The whole point of belonging is helping them, especially in a teenage situation or a young person situation, how can I get them to talk about things that they care about at the start and open their mouths so that when we're talking about the things that we need to talk about that are personal, sacred, or more serious, I will open up. If I can literally get them to open their mouth now, I'm not saying it's 100%, but it helps. So... How can you take 10 minutes at the beginning of Sunday school? Take time. How was prom? How was the dance? Talk to them. The play, what are you doing this summer? School starting, I know that you hate it. Everyone, we're going to go in a row. Just tell me, what are you most looking forward to to school starting? We're going to look at the positive here. And just have them go down the line one by one and each give them a chance to open their mouth and feel like they belong. Also, could you go to the soccer game? Have you attended your Sunday school or young women's? Young women's, I think we get a little bit more united in that, and young men's, like maybe going to their soccer games or their plays or whatever they're doing. But as your Sunday school teacher, what if they saw you at their soccer game and you just said, wow, Steve 
or texted them on their birthday. Amazing job. Right? Text them on their birthday. How can I make them feel a sense of belonging? I think sometimes this gets um, conflated with like food. And I'm not saying that you can't bring treats. I'm not a treat person. I don't even make them for my husband. And I love him. <laughs> and so I am not, and I love my student. I am bringing them, I'm not bringing any treats. Don't ask. But I just think belonging really is about making me feel comfortable. So what does that look like in Relief Society or Sunday School? Honestly, I think you can answer this for yourself, but I think vulnerability. If I can be vulnerable and feel safe in Relief Society and validated, and validated, then I will share. And sometimes as a teacher, that means that you need to craft in your lesson. It might not be something at the start that you have to do, but it might be something throughout that you say, I'm going to create a question that might require some vulnerability and people to share their feelings. That's what adults crave. They crave to be heard and listened to. And so how can I create that feeling of belonging and safety in an adult setting? And so I think that looks a little different in Relief Society. Well, and that also becomes the role, not just of the teacher, but other members of the class. Like Correct. I'm thinking about a Relief Society lesson we had recently where a woman very bravely shared some challenges with depression and immediately another class member jumped in and said, me too. I feel the same way. You know, instead of she shares this deeply personal thing and then there's crickets. And then she doesn't feel safe or like she belongs. Instead, it's like other women kind of rallying around her. Absolutely. And we need that. As women going through difficult things, we need to feel validated and feel like we're not the only one. I do think that there is the facade of our life is perfect and everything's going right. And And that's not the case for anyone. It's not the case for anybody. (laughs) And so especially in a Relief Society setting, if we can pull that down and be vulnerable. So as a learner, be vulnerable, but also read the room and be aware, sensitive, and then you jump in and validate. You jump in and validate that person and be like, oh my goodness, Jane, thank you so much for sharing that. That took a lot. And I think the vulnerability and belonging happens in Relief Society when we can say we're not perfect and we want help and we're trying. And how have you tried? And how are you doing? And what have you done? And those are all questions that we'll get to. <laughs> this is all part of it. It's all part of the master plan. It's all part of the plan. I love it, Kaylin. So belonging. Belonging. Make them feel like they're right at home. So the next topic is relevance. And relevance is all about why should I care? Why should I care? And what does this mean for me and my life? I'll start with this. A good artist knows the art, but it's also a science and a skill. And I know if I took a drawing class, I could learn some of those and I could improve my drawing. So just because you don't have or feel like you don't have the gift of teaching, a natural ability, a natural ability doesn't mean that you can't learn the skill set. Mm-hmm. There are legitimate hard skills that can really help with teaching. And so mm-hmm. this might be some practice. Like these are some skills you can practice, but maybe it's having a conversation with someone and saying, why would a teenager care about this at all? You know, have a conversation with your 17-year-old or call a niece or a nephew Mm -hmm. or it might be having conversations to say, help me understand this. Help me see this from a different perspective. But just like belonging isn't always treats, relevance doesn't necessarily have to be a game or an object lesson. It also doesn't need to be in gospel doctrine, something controversial or spurious. That's not relevance. So how do you kind of navigate when those things do come up, when it's when it is so controversial and there's something that isn't relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. 
you do the best. You say a prayer and you raise your hand and you just try to bring it back. Mm-hmm. And usually you're not alone in thinking that we've kind of gotten off track here. Or I imagine this is upsetting to someone else too. Yeah. And if you can have the courage to speak up, I think other people are like, phew, thank you. So glad someone said something. And I'm all about a good debate, but the debate shouldn't be sides versus sides. But I love asking my students questions like, does God make trials happen in our lives or does he allow them? What do you think? debate up and down about that Mm -hmm. because the goal is to come to this understanding of how we see it and are we seeing it correctly? Are we seeing trials correctly or are we blaming God when in truth, this is just a fallen world that we live in or, you know, Mm -hmm. there would be a purpose there, but it's not about not asking questions that cause people to have different opinions, but sometimes we misinterpret relevance to being like, I'm on a side and you're on a side and we're going to fight our battle. And I'm like, that is unproductive and it's not spiritually uplifting. So relevance, what is it? How could I do it? I have a phrase, we've used it in seminary, but it's just kind of like a readiness. How you start your lesson could be a great place to start. I don't know that I always start my lesson with how I'm going to start my lesson. Sometimes I plan what I'm going to talk about and then I say, okay, a readiness is kind of something at the beginning of a lesson that draws people in or makes them start thinking. Again, not an object lesson, doesn't have to be a game, but it's like a question that people, like I just posed, does God cause trials or does he allow them or, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, something like that. And it we pulls get, people in. Pulls yeah. people in, gets people talking. And it's not cheating if you use a come follow me question. It's not cheating. <laughs> they, you, you know, sometimes I'm like, it's just, it's right there. Just use that. Yeah. You don't have to come up with something super special or fancy or out of the box. Or an object lesson. I'm telling you, I do about... <laughs> One a year, and it's only because I stole them from my coworker. I don't make them up. I don't know them. You don't have to be an object lesson wizard to be a good teacher. No, 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 no. That'll Otherwise, be the title of the episode. That will be the title. You don't have to know how to create object lessons. Though some people do, and they're beautiful, but I feel like sometimes we stereotype, and we say, that's teaching, or that's what I have to be, and I'm not that, so I can't be a good teacher. And it's like... No, 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 no. That's a gift. That's something you can't do. You can't, that's not even a skill set. You can't even <laughs> learn that. I don't know how to learn that, you know? So sometimes it's like looking at a scripture story and being like, what's the context of that scripture story? And then how could I ask a question that might get them thinking? So like a teenager, I would totally do this. DNC 121, Joseph's in Liberty Jail, and he feels utterly abandoned. A readiness question or a starter question I might ask my students, have you ever been left by your parents or lost? tell me that story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just get them to talk. Yeah. Sometimes with adults, it might be a doctrinal question or posing something like that more serious. Sometimes it can be unrelated, seemingly, but it's just to get them thinking about that feeling of being abandoned. How did you feel when you were left? Okay. Joseph felt left, but by who? Let's open our scriptures to DNC 121. I know that one's coming up and let's read verse one. And then you read it, and then you just, oh, you sit in that. Joseph feels abandoned by God, and then you ask, why would that be even harder than being abandoned by a parent? I'm telling you, a teenager's feeling that. We look at it, we look at a situation, and we say, Joseph is feeling this. When have I felt that? When might a teenager feel that? And how can I connect those two? Another way we could do a readiness is what's a real-life situation that these verses help with or a doctrine that these verses help me understand? Because sometimes you look at the story and you're like, Joseph received a revelation. That was it. 
The storyline gives me nothing. And so another example coming up, DNC 124, the context, someone's going to listen to this and be like, she doesn't even know the scriptures because the context is so exciting. I found nothing intriguing about the context <laughs> of DNC 124. But there are some verses about building a temple and that the saints should bring their gold and their silver and bring everything Anything they had valuable, and mm-hmm. valuable, and let's build and contribute to the temple. So why would that matter to a teenager? And we've got to connect that and say, well, we're not bringing gold and silver, but what are things that we sacrifice for the temple? And teenagers sacrifice for the temple. They are making immense sacrifices. Let them tell you about it. So could you start your lesson talking about would you rather do this or that? You can look online and find a hundred would you rathers. Would you rather never be able to taste or never be able to smell. And with COVID, they might have an opinion about that. (laughs) And three or four, would you rathers? Would you rather money or the temple? And then we talk about why would that be a thing that I would be willing to give up money for? What other things do we give up for a temple? Time? Um, Sleep? Sleep? Mm -hmm. Teenagers? Mm -hmm. What am I willing and what have I given up for the temple? And God honors that sacrifice. We say a temple, but what blessings does that bring? And how can we flesh that out so that a teenager feels that, understands that on a different level? And, and then— And deepens their and conversion. And deepens their conversion. And their commitment to the gospel. Yeah. Now I'm committed because they had to give up money, but I also need to recognize I'm giving some things up. And that's hard. And I'm willing to. Mm-hmm. And so I, I love that. I love that. There's another idea. And that's a great connection to the point of conversion, It really does lead to conversion. I really feel like when we understand something better, it leads to a deepening feeling of like me being converted to it, like the temple. If I can understand that, pick it apart, recognize my part in it, then I'm more committed. I love that idea. But conversion doesn't come when we talk about 50 things in a lesson. (laughs) Yeah. Conversion really comes when we focus on something. So if we're reading our lesson this week, this Sunday, I need you to pick two max two ideas that you're going to teach, and I want you to write it down. What is the thing? We would call it a principle. Pick your principle. My principle is God blesses me when I make sacrifices for the temple, and it's worth it. Or with Joseph Smith and Liberty Jail, what I want them to come away with is, though I might feel abandoned by God, he never leaves me alone. He is always there because that's what 121 really teaches. So I want whatever you're going to teach this Sunday, I want you to boil it down to one or two things that you're going to teach because you can't convert them to the whole thing. You can just help them understand one or two new ideas. Which is such a relief as a teacher, yeah. right? Like, Let cause it go. Because if you, if you feel like you have to understand perfectly all the principles that you could possibly cover, that's a lot of work. Yeah. So you pick your two. You decide what you're going to teach what truth you want to get to or you want to emphasize, and then you build your lesson around that. I think that's the best way to do it. So then I build my questions around that. And I always like the phrase, how do you think? It eliminates yes, no. Do we believe in Jesus? Yes. I mean, you know, like there's a place for it. But generally, don't ask a yes or no. If the if the question you have crafted for really society is yes or no, I need you try to try again, rework try it. Try again and and add a why. Do we believe in Jesus? Why? Why do you believe in Jesus? Right? I don't know what your yes or no was, but change it and make it into a why that can help them. Why do you think? How do you think? And so eliminate yes or no's. Think how do you feel? And then another, you know, why do you think Jesus does that? He can do anything. Why does he do that? Why does he make us go through trials if he could eliminate them? Those type of questions really cause people to go, oh, 
Well, I really appreciate this conversation about questions because it is a skill set that we can learn, even though some people are just like, I have no idea what questions to ask. And so I think we've gotten some really great suggestions, you know, but also something that I do in preparing for questions on the podcast is I ask my friends, yeah, you know, what kind of questions yeah. would you ask? And that really gets me in the mindset. Because you're gets talking me going. to someone who's in a, has a different perspective. Totally. Than you, right? And I think that's valuable too. You know, you could even ask if you've got teenage kids, <laughs> they can help you prepare for your lessons or your spouses or your parents or, yeah. or anything. And so I think that can be valuable too. Like mm-hmm. I don't want people to be overwhelmed with having to have these profound questions. They they can be very simple and there's so many places you can get them. And Mm -hmm. I just, I'm saying I appreciate this conversation. Uh, Oh, good. (laughs) I'm so glad. Uh, Honestly, the goal is tangible outcomes, Mm -hmm. but I also can tell you that I can't teach you to teach in in a podcast episode. It really, just be patient with yourself. Yeah. Be so patient with yourself because I'm nervous for this interview. I'm nervous for the school year to start. I still get nervous about teaching. I mean, it is a very vulnerable place to be. Even though I love it, just know that this is a process. I think this all perfectly connects with the next question and topic that we wanted to discuss of preparation. Because questions and how to start a lesson and how to redirect a lesson, it feels like you're going to be better equipped to do that if you're more prepared. But preparing for a lesson can just be so overwhelming because depending on what you're teaching, there might be tons and tons and tons of resources. How many podcasts do I have to listen to to get ready? How many historical articles do I need to read if it's on the Doctrine and Covenants? Or you might be teaching Relief Society where there's a single talk and you're wondering, how am I supposed to come up with a lesson from one text? When we also want to acknowledge, and we know this, and you know this, that women are very busy, and they don't necessarily have 10 hours to devote to lesson prep. And you shouldn't. So (laughs) talk to us. How can we make our lesson prep? You know, if we say, okay, I've got one hour. You can make a good lesson with one hour or less. How can we use time effectively to prepare for teaching? And I would say if I had the magic potion, this is like the fountain of youth type of a thing. Like, how do we just make it, you know? But I do think that there's some advice I could give. We just had this in a teacher training meeting in my ward where it was like someone raised their hand and they just said, I listened to four podcasts and I read three general conference talks and I still don't know what to do. There are two phases of lesson preparation, the what and the how. I just want to say and preface all of this by saying none of this is original content. (laughs) Like all of this is in like teacher manuals that we're going to talk about in a minute. Just don't give me undue credit. Anyway, what am I going to teach? How am I going to teach it? Those are two phases of your lesson prep. Come follow me podcasts, like the outside material that you are taking in. All of that should, could help you with maybe what you want to teach. What are the two things I am going to teach that Jesus Christ is all-powerful? So how am I going to build? That's what's taught in the Doctrine and Covenants in that one verse. What questions am I going to ask? What can I do discussion Mm -hmm. all around? But that's all the how. Come Follow Me podcasts will very rarely or conference talks or Uh sometimes the Come Follow Me manual can help you with some of the how. But most of the time they're telling you, what should I teach? And one of the main questions we have is, but how do I do it? How am I supposed to teach this? And so I just think if you just got rid of one of those extra things that you were doing to prep and just instead pulled out a teacher resource from the church, if you're going to listen to a 60-minute Come Follow Me podcast, don't. Just don't. And instead, pull out a manual that actually talks about teaching and brush up. Two teaching manuals you can look at. There's Teaching in the Savior's Way, which is the general church handbook on teaching. But then there's one for seminary teachers that is 
open content for all members. Mm-hmm. Both are on the Gospel Library Both app. Both are on the Gospel right? Library And we'll yeah. link to them in our Ours, show notes. Yeah. It's the Gospel Teaching and Learning Handbook. And you can find it under Seminary and under Teaching Resources and Handbooks. And go in and read, I think, chapters two, three, four are really good about saying, okay, I know what to teach. Now, how do I do it? And how can I brush up on my teaching skills? That actually might help you more than more content. I love that. So um, you have to teach on Sunday. You've got minimal prep. You need to read the content. So definitely read the sections, read the talk, underline your favorite parts, and then build questions. They are the best for conversion and understanding and whatever, but they're also the best for using time efficiently. And so you really need to focus on those questions. And those are the key to conversion and the key to the clock. So there are a couple of different types of questions. You have search questions, analyze questions, and testimony or feel questions. So a search question is like, what does the Lord say the people need to do and why in verse 5? Here's my tip with search questions. Ask them before they read it. Don't have them read verse 5 and then say, what did the Lord say? Ask your question first, then read the quote. And so a search is just regurgitating what you read, right? That's a search question. They're simple. Freshmen love them. (laughs) (laughs) Woohoo! You know, we've all got a place in this world. And freshmen are just like, oh my gosh, I know the answer and it's right. (laughs) But then you've got analyzed questions. And these are ones that provoke thought or elicit more yes or no. So build. So ask a search question. We're going to read this quote. And then they might pull out and say these different things. Or you might ask an analyze question in connection. They search and they have all these answers. And then you say, okay, why? Why do you think the Lord does that? So digging a little deeper. Mm -hmm. This is layers, you know, starting with an easy foundation and then building these layers is really, really beautiful and important. And it's a skill. And you can learn. And that's what I just think is interesting. We talked about we're all going to have opportunities to teach, whether we feel comfortable or whether we feel like we're a natural or not. And I think sometimes we think that when we're set apart, we're just going to figure it out or we're all teachers. We're all going to figure it out. The gift comes or it doesn't. But the reality is, is there are resources and some of them are very basic. Like the Teaching in the Savior's Way is a really awesome resource. It gives really great suggestions and ideas and it isn't complicated. No. Michael Jordan is a great basketball player, and he's good at it because he knows the basics. And so if you aren't a natural basketball player, but you can still understand the basics, back to this teaching as a Mm -hmm. science and as an art, focus on these fundamentals. So analyze questions. Back to our temple discussion earlier. Why do you think temples are important? Why do you think temples are more important than money? What can temples bring that money can't buy? Why is this a harder decision than it looks? Money or not. And you're like, oh, that's easy. And it's like, yeah, it's easy because we're in Sunday school. But like, why is that harder than it looks? Why do you think he wants us to sacrifice? Why us bringing money? Think about that. What are some things that teenagers give up in order to be worthy? Sometimes kids are turned off to the right or wrong answers. So open it up to what do you think? And mm-hmm. I think all of those, I, I just— What do you think? How do you think? I just why? brainstormed a bunch of different questions. It's like, how could we analyze and process that in a way that makes us— feel something. Mm -hmm. And then we have testimony or feel questions maybe more specifically. When was a time that you felt blessed because of temples? How was your life different because you focused on the temple? When was a time you had to sacrifice something? How have you made the temple a priority? How did you notice a difference Mm. during COVID Mm -hmm. when you didn't have them? What did you miss? 
all I such great all like such, little starters for oh, questions. Yeah, I'm just like I'm at, I'm reading my own questions. I'm like, yeah, those are good. Not because <laughs> I'm good, but because I took ten minutes, genuinely ten minutes, to say, what's every way we could look at a temple and that sacrifice? Who's what's when's how's why's and just use that. When have you? How have you? Why do you? And just use that little prompt and look at a paragraph and say, how could I use why do you in relation to mm-hmm. this paragraph? And then deepen it. And then maybe oh, ap- this is so good, Kaylin. Maybe application at the end where it doesn't always sometimes have to be like you have to bear your feelings, but like what's something you feel like you need to adjust or give up in order to make the temple a priority? We've been having this conversation and the question is, are we? You don't have to tell me, but I just want you to think about that. Or what do you want to remember about our conversation today? What's your takeaway? What do you want to remember? Sometimes they aren't uber personal and they can answer them, but sometimes they are and that's okay. But it's just sometimes we want to just maybe at the end just allow them an opportunity to reflect and say, this has some bearing on me. So I love that. Those are all things that I wrote down and took time to think about and not just came up with on the top of my head. And so that means you can all do it too. You really can. Well, Kaylin, thank you so much for everything that you've shared. And just finally, we'd also like to ask you, what would you share with the women of the church or those listening to this podcast? That women are amazing. And don't forget that women do incredible things. We can't forget that women are capable of gathering Israel in many ways and feeling at peace with how we've been asked to do that. I know a lot of women my age that right now that means motherhood and I want you to own that. And some of you it isn't, and I want you to own it. And so I think it's really, like President Nelson's been asking us, really work on creating a connection with heaven so that you can feel at peace with what you've been asked to do because sometimes it's not what we want to do. There might be a mom listening being like, man, she's lucky and she doesn't even know it, you know? (laughs) But like, we just need to find peace with where we're at Mm -hmm. and also recognize that the Savior is the perfect teacher and the rest of us aren't. And so the rest of us are just trying to do our best. And if God didn't think you could do it, he wouldn't ask us to. But I love that he asks the population of the church, including women, to be so involved in the teaching publicly and privately and in every way. And so own that and love it and embrace it. Perfect. Kaylin, thank you so much for sharing so much of your personal life, but also your expertise. I just know that this is going to be so 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 helpful. So thank you. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. And the encouragement, too, that wherever you are, you can even get better. If you don't feel like you're a great teacher, there are things that can help you feel like you're going to get better. And, yes. And we'll we'll share those things in the notes. So to our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. As a reminder, we have new episodes released every week, and we hope you'll continue to tune in and share these episodes with your friends and family members. And we have been so grateful to hear from so many of our listeners via email and on Apple Podcast Reviews. If you enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll share your thoughts and feedback there. We love hearing from you. You can contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org with any suggestions or, or feedback or ideas. We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. So keep that in mind as you're sharing and tuning in and subscribing. We so appreciate you joining us in sharing these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. Finally, we'd like to thank our editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Mangum, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next week, I'm Shaylin Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.